This is the Today's RDH Dental Hygiene Podcast. The podcast for curious and passionate dental hygienists. Hello, Kara from Today's RDH here. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I am joined by Dr. Diane Baker, a California State University Sacramento School of Nursing professor and consultant for the VA National Happen program. Today, we are going to chat about Dr. Baker's work in promoting the prevention of hospital-acquired pneumonia, which includes implementing oral care protocols in hospital settings. Dr. Baker was a part of the Sutter Health System team that was recognized for their work on non-ventilator hospital-acquired pneumonia with the 2018 California Healthcare Quality Institute C. Dwayne Donner Quality Award. She continued her work in 2020, earning the Award for Publication Excellence from the Association for Professionals in Infection Control and Epidemiology and the American Journal of Infection Control. Dr. Baker co-authored a key paper for the National Organization to Prevent Hospital-Acquired Pneumonia in 2021. I am excited to chat with Dr. Baker because she worked with dental hygienists to launch a non-ventilator hospital-acquired pneumonia prevention program, and the implementation of oral care protocols in hospital settings has shown impressive results in preventing hospital-acquired pneumonia and has saved lives. So, Without further ado, Dr. Baker, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm delighted and honored to be here. Oh, thank you. So as let's just jump right in. Um, as a nurse, how did you become interested in oral care as it relates to hospital-acquired pneumonia? Well, I could back up a little bit further than that. Uh, my roommate in college was a dental hygiene major. So I've been interested in the field of dental hygiene and interprofessional relationships between nurses and dental hygienists for a long time. And she would come ask, she would ask me to go speak at her professional organizations. She would come talk at mine because of this division between the body and the mouth, and it really needs to be put back together again. So I guess you could say it's been floating around in the back of my mind almost since day one um, as a nurse, and I've been a nurse for over 45 years now. But this particular part of my journey, really looking at patient safety as it relates to non-ventilator hospital-acquired pneumonia, um, began with one of my research partners, Dr. Barbara Quinn um, at Sutter Hospital, and she was rounding when a very astute nurse asked her this question, what's going on here? Why do we have patients coming up to our ICU, very sick, that are getting hospital in our very own hospital? It's a top 100 hospital. And Barbara didn't have the answer. Um, she began talking to me and we started investigating this problem. What was going on? This was ba way back in 2010, 2011. So I've been at this for over a decade now. And the answer we found was there wasn't an answer. So we launched uh, several research studies to look at the incidence of non-ventilator hospital-acquired pneumonia. And I'll just take a step back and say, why that very long name for this? At the time, the Center for Disease Control had required that hospitals prevent ventilator-associated pneumonia but nothing for the patients not on a ventilator. So to distinguish those two types of pneumonia, patients with the ventilator, patients without, we've coined this term, non-ventilator hospital-acquired pneumonia. 
but I'll just call it uh, HAP, Hospital Acquired Pneumonia for short, for the rest of our conversation today. But it was really just curiosity. And from those first initial studies that we did with the VA, Kaiser, and Sutter, we found out that yes, there was a severe problem. It was a severe patient safety issue. People were dying unnecessarily. And we believed at that time we could prevent it. Um, that's curiosity. That's a wonderful and seeing something and saying, Hey, what can we do about this? Um, that's, I love that. So can you explain ex exactly a little bit more what hospital acquired infections are kind of in general and why hospital acquired pneumonia HAP is a major patient safety concern? Yeah. When someone checks into the hospital with, you know, they walk in and, or um, they're admitted and their loved ones are there, they're going to the hospital because they want to get better. So during the course of their stay in the hospital, that's the expected outcome. What they don't expect is that because they are in the hospital, they may acquire a hospital acquired harm. And one of the major types of hospital acquired harm is a hospital-acquired infection. The definition for that is that an infection that occurs 48 hours after admission to the hospital. So the source of the infection is attributed to the fact that the patient is actually in the hospital and being exposed to germs there. Hospital-acquired infections are such a serious problem in U.S. hospitals that the Center for Disease, um, CDC, actually put it as one of the number four public health patient safety concerns. So cancer, heart disease, pneumonia, and then you have hospital-acquired infections. So very serious problem. Hospital-acquired pneumonia is one type of hospital-acquired infection. It's the number one type of hospital-acquired infection. Occurs in about one in every um, hundred patients that check into the hospital. And a recent study by Dr. Barbara Jones at the VA and Dr. Mike Kloppis at Harvard have found a really startling, um, revealed a really startling fact. One in 14 deaths that occur in the hospital can be attributed to hospital-acquired pneumonia. That's brand new information from a, a really well done study that they released in just May of 2023 this year. So I've been studying this for the last 10 plus years, as I mentioned, and we've known that the harm is there. Patients are more likely to go to long-term care. They have longer lengths of stay. We knew there was an associated mortality somewhere between 15 to 30%, but really had no idea that this problem was as dangerous as it is. One in 14. Wow. Can be attributed to this. That's staggering. Um, what is the relationship between hospital-acquired pneumonia and oral bacteria? Well, this is one of my favorite topics <laughs> because when we first opened Pandora's box and said, hey, there is this very serious hospital-acquired infection happening in hospitals. It's not on anybody's radar. There's still to this day no regulation that hospitals actually have to prevent it or even monitor it. So our question was, well, where is it coming from? Where, where does pneumonia come from? 
And if you looked at medical textbooks and nursing textbooks at the time, you would very easily see all the names of the germs that cause pneumonia. Klebsiella, um, strep, staph, all those uh, well-known harmful bacteria. And then Barbara and I looked at each other, along with our other research partner, Karen Giuliano and Shannon Monroe from the VA, and said, but where does that come from? Where do those germs come from? And as we um, started then looking into more of the bench science types of articles and the basic fundamental science articles and the dental journals, uh, we discovered that those germs are coming from the mouth and that there is actually an interplay, an ongoing interplay between the germs in the mouth and the germs that are found in the lung. We used to think the lung was sterile. We now know that's no longer true, that there's this constant, um, very micro, nano, microscopic particle aspiration of germs into our lungs among all of us, among the walking well. Not a problem because our lungs have cilia, they sweep out the germs, doesn't cause us to have pneumonia. However, when you get into the hospital, it's a very different situation. You're given drugs to dry out your mouth, drugs to suppress your cough, you're put in bed, your nutrition changes, your mouth is dried out because you're made nothing, you know, no oral fluids or anything. And so you disrupt that system, that very protective system for patients in the hospital, and you create a perfect storm for the potential development of pneumonia. Really simply put, your lungs can only be as healthy as the health of your mouth. That, um, that makes sense. Cause yeah, your mouth is connected to your body and literally right down. That makes, I, that's well put. Thank you. So research suggests a significant reduction in HAP cases following the implementation of an oral care protocol. So can you please tell me what that oral care protocol is and what does this research imply about the potential of oral care as an actual intervention in healthcare settings? Yes. Um, so once we uncork the relationship and basically what we call a habitat eyelid bottle, that the mouth and the lung are intricately connected um, and that the lung's health is dependent on the mouth, it occurred to us that what we needed to do was keep the mouth clean, keep it in, a, in its natural state. So the mouth is a very germy place. Most of those germs are helpful, don't cause us any problem. There are, however, some bad germs that habitat our mouth. And so when you're in the hospital, we want to make sure that those bad germs don't take over. So the solution to that was oral care. So we all looked at each other and said, well, we're nurses. We weren't taught this in nursing school. Sure, we were told that our patients should have their teeth brushed, and that was about the end of it. So we called up the Sacramento County Dental uh, Society and I called my friend who's a dental hygienist, my roommate from college and got connected to the dental hygienist uh, group and our local colleges and we developed a partnership. And we actually ended up having the dental hygienist students in our area come in and teach our nurses about oral care and how to do it. And 
Um, you know, we didn't know there was different ways to brush teeth and perhaps some ways are better than others, how long you should brush, that you only need a little tiny pearl drop of toothpaste on that toothbrush, you know, you know, shouldn't be loading it up and all sorts of things that really do make a difference. We also realized that there was not a standard oral care protocol that you could find. So nurses have lots of standards about feeding patients, how to start IVs, et cetera, but there wasn't anything for oral care for patients not on a ventilator. So we flew to Chicago and we met with the American Dental Association and we worked with that group to develop a, a oral care protocol for acute care hospitals. And there's four sections to it. One is for independent patients, about 80% of patients in the hospital can brush their own teeth if you actually give them the right kind of supplies and mouth rinse. And um, we've done a survey since that time and found out that 20% of hospitals don't even provide toothbrushes at all. Startling, isn't it? Yikes. <laughs> yeah. So even if you're, you want to do it, you, the nurses are hogtied and a lot of the toothbrushes that they have are of such poor quality, the bristles fall out, et cetera. So we've got a big problem there, but 80% of patients about can do their own oral care if you give them some good oral care supplies. 20% require um, some support. We call those dependent care. And then of course, there's patients that have dentures and the patients on a ventilator. So we wrote the protocol to cover those four types of oral care. It was approved um, through that organization and we've distributed it widely since that time. Wow. I, that's, that is fantastic. Um, kind of a little bit switching gears here, but not too much. Um, you kind of mentioned it. So kind of maybe piggybacking off that, um, oral care is amongst the most frequent types of quote missed care in hospitals. Um, even though oral care has been shown to have the most evidence of therapeutic benefit for the prevention of HAP. Um, can you explain what missed care is? You kind of touched on it, but 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 really kind of talk about the potential barriers to implementing effective oral care in healthcare settings and, and how they can be addressed. Yeah, so missed care omitted care is when there's an idea that something should be done, but the nurse is unable to get it done. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You can only imagine the daily um, the daily routine for any nurse in a U.S. hospital right now add COVID onto that. And of course, hospital pneumonia rates went way up during COVID. Um, and it's hard for them to accomplish everything they need to accomplish. So they're going to prioritize what the hospital prioritizes. And the hospital prioritizes what they have been instructed through the CDC and through CMS to pay attention to. So certain types of hospital acquired infections, um, preventing pressure ulcers and patients, falls, that type of thing. What's not on that list, and nobody is requiring anybody to pay attention to, is exactly what we're talking about today. Hospital-acquired pneumonia like this. So because the hospital isn't prioritizing it, it's very difficult for the nurse to prioritize it. In addition to that, they often have no supplies available to accomplish oral care or the supplies that they do have are very inadequate. I mean, these toothbrushes 
that are so cheap that the bristles fall out. And then the nurse gets called in the room to pick bristles out of their patient's teeth. They absolutely don't have time for that. Sometimes they have mouth rinses. If they do have them that taste so bad, the patients you know, are complaining and the nurse doesn't have time for that. So it's missed. In fact, it's the most common type of missed standard care. So if you think about the daily bath, mobility, things you need to do um, just to maintain your health on a daily basis, among those is oral care. The one that's most frequently missed in the hospital is indeed oral care for all those reasons that I just mentioned. Wow. Um, that's that's interesting. And I think it's it's interesting to hear this coming from a nurse that, 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 yes, this is absolutely a problem. Like, because I can say, I think this might be a problem, you know, as a hygienist, you know, it, it that's, I think that's very eye-opening. Can you tell me more about your work in the initiatives for the prevention of hospital acquired pneumonia, HAP, and the results of those initiatives? Yes. Because there are not national standards through regulatory agencies for hospitals to address this, much less a requirement for them to provide daily oral care. Um, we set about trying to set up a red alert ourselves. So our core group of nurses that realized this, um, you know, I was kind of coming toward the end of my career and this Pandora's box got opened and I thought, I can't just walk away from this. It, I couldn't ethically do that as a nurse. This is national patient safety issues, we had to do something. So we started speaking at conferences. We started reaching out to legislators. We started reaching out to professional organizations. Um, if you will, you know, think of the metaphor of like releasing a bunch of butterflies and hoping that there somebody's going to be listening and think that this is a good idea to capture. Um, and it worked to a very great extent. Um, we've been in contact with probably over a thousand hospitals at a grassroots level that just want to do the right thing, even though it's not required. Um, a national organization was put together with um, over 30, 30 professionals, all the way from you know academic scholars that are experts in this field to uh, business and industry to insurance to put together a no half, no hospital acquired pneumonia call to action nationally. Um, that resulted in the Joint Commission issuing a patient safety alert to alert hospitals to this problem, which was a really um, wonderful thing to see. I literally tap dance on my desk the day that came out. And then the Veterans Health Administration has taken this issue very seriously because the numbers that I gave you for the general hospital population are even more devastating among the veterans. And so they started a national um, nursing service standard for oral care and actually have launched global initiatives to get oral care, um, to be able to, for the nurses to record oral care in the electronic health record, because that wasn't even available. I mean, the nurse, even if they do accomplish oral care, there's no word to say, hey, I got this done. This is important, right? And they worked with uh, an organization called SNOMED, and that's going to be those cartridges are going to be available now. So there's been a lot done. Now, we do have really great data. Um, we launched a study at Sutter Health um, for over, that lasted for over four years and reduced hospital acquired pneumonia 
by over 60%, saved $6 million in cost avoidance for that institution, and we estimated saved 31 lives. We repeated that study, but actually did it as a randomized cluster trial where some units improved oral care and some were left to be whatever they were doing for a period of time and showed a statistically significant drop in NVHAP and again, life saved. Um, these types of studies have been repeated uh, multiple times now in different organizations. So, and there's been several systematic reviews. Now, some of the studies have been single site. They haven't been randomized, which is what is kind of the gold standard for saying, yes, this works. Um, but we do have dozens that do say that it does work. And I personally have experienced hospitals making a big difference. Um, Kaiser Permanente in Northern California launched a 42 hospital initiative and dropped their um, HAP rates and reduced mortality in their organization by mobility um, along with oral care and found out that they had less antibiotic starts, which is huge. Everybody in healthcare knows that antibiotic stewardship is really important right now. And so not only can reducing hospital acquired pneumonia save lives, reduce costs to long-term care, length of stay, it'll also reduce your antibiotic usage. That's like a double, triple, quadruple whammy. That's in, that's the impressive. That's impressive. And it it's, can only get better, right? At least across yeah. our fingers, but wow. So you're making huge strides to connect the importance of oral health and how it plays a role in systemic health. Yes. Um, as a dental hygienist, it is so nice to see this connection made by those outside of dentistry um, and further taking action. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about how you worked with dental hygienists to launch the non-ventilator hospital-acquired pneumonia prevention program? That is a tongue twister. Um, and from a nursing perspective, what would you suggest dental hygienists and other dental professionals do um, to, to get involved with um, integrating dental and medical care. Um, it, it's a challenge. Yes, it is. But we have some great examples and some great role models. You know, our work with our local um, dental hygienist community, I think is one, and I'm in Northern California. Um, I'm working on an initiative right now that's in Chicago where we're studying hospital acquired pneumonia reduction through oral care. And we have a consultant on that project. So, um, really thinking about the advantages of doing interprofessional education and interprofessional consultation. So Dr. Cindy Stoll, who's at the University of Minnesota, um, is our consultant and she helped us with all of our educational material. And she um, actually in Minnesota, dental it's one of the states where dental hygienists can practice in the hospital. And she actually takes her students into the hospital and started a dental hygienist consultancy service so that um, when doctors and nurses look in patients' mouth and they're like, oh no, what's this? Um, then they can have a consultation directly with her. And she has some great results from that, all the way from finding oral cancer that no one had noticed before, um, finding active abscess, which was really impairing um, 
some of the lab tests and studies that qualified patients for being on things like the trans transplant list and they were kicked off. And then she went in and cleaned up their mouth, got that inflammation taken care of, and the patients were able to get on the transplant list and get that life-saving surgery. Uh, congestive heart failures, lots and lots of examples of that. Uh, another example of this is in Arizona. Um, dental hygienists partnered with um, hospital nurses and the dental hygienist actually works in the hospital and they launched um, a hospital acquired pneumonia prevention initiative through oral care, improved oral care throughout their system and the dental hygienist is consultation and all the education there. Um, I know of another uh, place in Oregon where that's going on. So we have great role models to turn to and I really wish that dental hygienists had full scope of practice in the hospital. I wish that every hospital had two or three dental hygienists on staff. Because one of the big first major problems we have for oral care in the hospital is no one's looking in the mouth. And I'm in really saying that includes the attending physician that admits the patient. And sometimes even the anesthesiologist, when they're doing surgery, they just take a quick little two-second look in there. I found food pockets. Please don't think I'm too gross. Maybe you guys will understand this. Maggots. Um, active, you know, active fulminating infection. Uh, so many loose teeth. And if we don't look, we don't know. And you think about all the potential harm that can come for patients in the hospital. But then when you do look, that's not our area of expertise. We need the dental hygienist to come in and look and decide, and then maybe consult with their dentist to decide what should be done to get that patient safe so they can proceed with the treatments that we're hoping for them to help make them better in the hospital. Um, I love how you mentioned scope of practice. Um, I'm in Oregon, and so I have my expanded practice mm -hmm. permit so I can go into schools. I can go into hospitals, assisted living, homebound patients, all those things. In fact, my dental hygiene program, we did rounds. We went to every single assisted um, care facility, multiple, several times. Um, and we did just that. We even had days where we would go in and all the staff, um, okay, students, get your presentation to us, hygiene students. And we explained, and, and it, we we had to do it for school. It was just, this is your day you're going here, your day you're going here. And so for me, it was like, oh, this is just normal. Like everybody does this, right? No, no. But it was also not hard. Like for, we took two terms of community health. And so we have to do a project. So pretty much every high school football team and soccer team has mouth guards and everyone has sealants and all these things. My, um, and a lot of people just pick up a previous project from students before, um, my group decided to implement um, a new, start a new. We write to the hospital, right up the road and said, um, cancer patients, uh, what are you guys doing for them with, you know, so it's the same, we literally just made a call and, and that was our project. We educated, we got them, um, products, you know, all the things made brochures with education. Here's where you go. Here's what you do. It was, it was just a phone call. Um, and, and I know I'm making it sound easy, but it, it's one of those things where if you want to do it, Hmm, it's possible. You have shown that. And, um, and it does go back to what we are allowed to do regardless. I mean, if we're educated on it, we're educated but we're blocked. 
So I'm really glad you brought that up. Sorry, that was a whole long um, digression there, but I'm very glad you brought that up. Um, this has been, um, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the people that, I mean, that you've partnered with. Uh, you're, you're literally saving lives. And and dentistry's had a very hard time make, getting people to see this connection. And we, we really need people like you that are outside of dentistry. So that is... Um, that is just awesome. So I just, I feel it's profoundly important that hygienists know that work beyond dentistry um, is being done to promote the oral systemic link and, um, and, and it's in, in things are working. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, I'd like to thank Listerine Professional for supporting this video and um, in connecting us. Um, I just, I, I appreciate the privilege of your time. Yeah. Thank you so much. You know, I, I wish that every dental office would just ask their patients, any chance you're having surgery or planning on going in the hospital, make sure you get your dental care done. Because we did a study and if patients had been to a dentist in the last six months prior to their hospitalization, they were significantly less likely to get hospital acquired pneumonia. So just, you know, just thinking about overall health and how we can work together um, is going to save lives and we need each other. Nurses need dental hygienists, dentists, um, all together as a team. And it does. It know. takes a team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I love that. You also have to be open to working together too. And so I do appreciate your openness as well. Um, I hope it encourages maybe some other people, maybe who are tuning in to, hmm, hmm what could I maybe do, or at least be open to the thought um, so thank you. Thank you, Dr. Baker. And thank you again to everybody who tuned in. Um, this was wonderful. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the today's RDH dental hygiene podcast. Subscribe on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 